Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, where we spent a number of weeks studying the 71 verses of this chapter. The chapter is dedicated to somewhere between five and 15,000 people that Jesus fed with the few loaves and fishes of a lad's lunch. Like so many today, when Jesus Christ began to preach hard doctrine, they left. The crowd was whittled down to the twelve, and Jesus asked them if they were going to leave him as well. In this chapter, we learned that to make the difference between John's six hearers or the apostles, to make the difference between seeking bread for our bellies or seeking the Lord Jesus Christ, God had to make the difference. He was the great difference maker. And I want to start with John 6 and verse 65, where Jesus repeats himself in this chapter, explaining why they did not like his preaching. And he said, Therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me, except it were given unto him of my Father. The only ones that will ever come to Jesus Christ and believe on him were those that has it given to them. They are drawn by the Father. Verse 44 has the first statement that Jesus is referring to where it says, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. This is true in this passage. The vast majority of the crowd turned and went away. They weren't interested in Jesus Christ. They were interested in food for their bellies. They wanted manna. They wanted bread like manna every day because Jesus had fed them once for free, all they could eat, and there were leftovers from a lad's lunch. They wanted more of that. They wanted to make him king. They tried to make him king in this chapter, and he wouldn't let them. We're between chapters in the Gospel of John. Because we spent a long time in six, before we get into seven, I wanted to spend a few sermons on the subject of truth. Because the truth is not a right. The truth is a blessed privilege by God granting it to us, drawing us to him, teaching us internally, sending someone with the truth, not with a lie, and opening our hearts to it. It's the work of God from beginning to end, and we want to be thankful for any truth that we have. It is not by our intelligence or by our diligence or by our righteousness. It is by His goodness and His mercy to us. And this text, to me, summarizes this chapter, why Jesus repeated it twice and said, Therefore, He is drawing a conclusion because they are murmuring against Him, In verse 60, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? This is hard doctrine. Who can listen to this and figure it out? What's he talking about? Jesus knew that they were murmuring against his preaching. And he said in verse 62, It wouldn't matter if I ascended back to heaven right in front of you. What and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It would not matter. So much of the Christian world thinks that it's the methods that bring about conversions. There is no method to bring about a conversion. 
It's got to be the work of God. And so Jesus said in verse 63, it is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. If you were to see me bodily go back to heaven with your physical eyes, it wouldn't convert you. How do we know that? He had already fed the 5,000. He had already healed. And he had already calmed a storm at sea and walked on the water in this chapter. And they still didn't believe. It wouldn't matter. Jesus used the record of Lazarus and the rich man, the rich man going to hell, Lazarus going to heaven, and the rich man is in hell and asks Father Abraham, please send Lazarus back to tell my five brothers so they don't come to this place. Jesus said, they don't need Lazarus. They have the synagogue and the scriptures read every Sabbath day. The rich man said, my five brothers don't really like church. But if one went back to them from the dead, they would believe. Jesus said through Abraham, if one went back to them from the dead, they would not believe. Because if we don't believe this, we're not going to believe anything like that because he hasn't drawn us. But thank you, Lord, that he has drawn us or you wouldn't be here this morning. And let's rejoice in that fact. He has drawn us. We have a cause like David had a cause and like Peter had a cause. Did Peter have a cause in John 6? When Jesus turned to the 12 and said, well, 15,000 have left. Are you 12 going to leave me also? This is in verse 67. Will ye also go away? Let's be like Peter. This is like David. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ the Son of the living God. Amen Amen and amen. We've got David in the Old Testament, Peter in the New. Were either of them perfect? No, we know some serious failures in their lives recorded for us in the pages of Scripture. But were the two of them exceptional Christians? Absolutely. Their overall character was wonderfully full of zeal, power, love of Christ, and commitment to His cause. The truth is so important. Jesus has already taught us in our study of the Gospel of John in chapter 4 when he told the woman of Samaria that we have to have the truth in order to worship the Father acceptably because the Father seeks those who will worship him in spirit, that is a heart religion, in spirit, not Jerusalem, not Mecca, not Salt Lake City, in spirit. And he told the woman of Samaria, you people, don't know, you, don't, you people don't have a clue what you're worshiping. This is John 4, 20 through 24. And even the Jews aren't worshiping the correct way. The time is coming in which the Father seeks those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Internal religion done the right way. Right. The Samaritans weren't doing it the right way because they were on the wrong mountain, worshiping the wrong way. And the Jews had an external carnal ceremonial religion that wasn't one of the heart. The New Testament gospel is both. It's truth and heart. And so we were taught that before we got to John 6, and we want to be committed to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God is a God of truth. He cannot lie. He even swears sometimes to convince us of the truthfulness of his statements, like in Hebrews chapter 6, when he swore with an oath. And sometimes he blinds men that neglect truth. Truth is so important to him, and it is such a blessing when he gives it to men that if they reject it or if they neglect it, 
He will send them strong delusion to believe a lie. The Bible says so. It's some of the harshest language in the Bible. And we're going to go over some of those statements today. If we do or we don't get to 2 Thessalonians 2 again, we were there last Lord's Day, that's where it says that because some men, and we understand that passage like all our fathers in the faith, that it's referring to Roman Catholics. And if you've ever met a a devout Roman Catholic, you cannot talk to them. They do not care about the Word of God. All they care about is the magisterium, which is the authority of the church. They'll override any passage of Scripture because they're so used to it. But in that passage of Scripture, it says that because they receive not the love of the truth, God would send them strong delusion to believe a lie, that they all might be damned, who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You know, rather than always be pointing out there at the direct fulfillment of a Bible prophecy, we want to ask ourselves, like Brother Jeff did in his prayer, am I taking pleasure in unrighteousness anywhere in my life? Because then we're guilty of the same crime, but to a greater degree, because more truth has been revealed to us. So let us beware. God has graciously led us as a church over decades with much light and conviction to learn truth, and we've documented the things he's taught us, and we realize the combination of things we believe is very rare and very unusual. There are others that believe certain things that we believe, and there's others that practice some things that we practice, but the combination is pretty rare. The truth is an incredible blessing that God's revealed to us in the Bible for all parts of our lives, and we want to be like David. Is there not a cause? We want to be like Peter, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Amen. Remember some examples I gave you last Lord's Day. Truth and error. Truth and lies. Three doctors bled our first president to death because they believed a lie just 200 years ago that health was obtained by getting rid of your blood. So they bled him five times. 3.75 3.75 liters, almost a gallon of blood out of the father of our nation. Don't let me say any more about it because I said it last Sunday. And you can go home and Google it. It's a disgrace. You know, if they had read all the way to Genesis 9, that's not very far. Out of 1,189 chapters in the Bible, if it had just got to Genesis 9, it said the life of the flesh is in the blood. <laughs> you know, What keeps our bodies going is the blood that is circulating in it. It's all important. That's why they couldn't eat blood as an Israelite or drink blood or even they had to bleed their animals out and drain them before they cooked them and ate them. You know, we've thought about Ignaz Semmelweis, a doctor in Vienna, 1847. Now we're only talking 170 years ago. He saw all the mothers that were giving birth in this big public hospital in Vienna that were being attended to by doctors dying at a rate five times the rate of those mothers giving birth that were being attended to by midwives. And so he began collecting data and he found out that the doctors were coming from cadavers to mother to cadavers to mothers. They were doing anatomy work on dead bodies and having particles of that on their hands, going to the mothers, delivering a baby, 
the dead particles being left on or in the mother, and the mother's dying. He, being a Jew, instituted washing in water with a chlorine solution, and it disappeared. The doctors hated being criticized for the way that they were doing things, fired him. He died in a saint asylum at the age of 47. You can, read, you can check that one out. All they had to do was get to the book of Leviticus and find out that any issue of the flesh, any disease, any sickness, any death was to be separated by washing. Right. Washing your body, washing your clothes, washing... The Bible's full of wisdom is what the whole point is. Right. The Bible's full of truth. Amen. And you know, sometimes it takes 3,500 years like that to come from Leviticus, 1500 B.C., to 1847, can I round off once in a while, to 2000 to find out that we ought to wash between a cadaver and a mother giving birth. The Bible said all of it in the book of Leviticus. You know that book that you don't like to read very much because it it has a lot of rules and laws for the Levites, the nation of Israel that we don't think about, but you know there was wisdom right there as well. Capital punishment. Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6. There's eight people in the world. And the only way they're going to multiply is if there's no murder. You can't have very many murders among eight people, and it doesn't, it doesn't grow that way. So God said, Who show, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. There's no issue or debate about capital punishment. It's God's will for the human race. Right, it's right. not imposed by civilians. It's not imposed by the church. It's imposed by civil government. It should be. I believe it was imposed this past week in the state of Texas. Bless the state of Texas, Heavenly Father. You know, we, we looked at the 2300 days of Daniel chapter 8 to find out why the, where the Seventh-day Adventists got their start and the error they made in that chapter to think that Jesus Christ was returning to earth in 1844, which is called the great disappointment of the Seventh-day Adventists because he didn't come back. A child can understand in Daniel chapter 8 the errors made in that prophecy to come up with the wrong conclusion. You know, we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 29, it says baptism for the dead. Oh, and there go the Mormons. If you, you can get baptized in an underground baptistry for your dead relatives. So they've got the greatest collection of ancestral records in the world so that you can go get baptized over and over again by proxy for dead relatives from one verse in a chapter that uh, Baptists understand perfectly well. 1 Corinthians 15 is about the resurrection of the dead. Every time we're baptized, we declare our resurrection of the dead because we are buried in water in our hope of the gospel that we are going to be resurrected up out of that water, right. up out of the ground, in a day when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Amen. The Bible teaches us that about baptism. We know what 1 Corinthians 15, 29 is saying. Paul is telling the Corinthians, if you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead anymore, why in the world are you still practicing Baptist baptism by a burial and a resurrection? Right. You should just leave them down. Right. I mean, it's beautiful. Amen. But it's not beautiful to a Mormon, and it's not beautiful to a Presbyterian. Go home and look at Matthew Henry's ideas on 1 Corinthians 15, 29, and I do respect the man. He's long gone, but he did study his Bible diligently, but when it came to that verse, because he was a Presbyterian and didn't understand baptism, he gave 10 possible explanations that did not even include the right one and said at the end of a very long discourse of 10 explanations, one thing we know is that we don't understand it, but they did. 
that's not a very big help in a commentary. When you read a commentary, you'd like to get a little bit more help than they understood it, but we don't. But as a Presbyterian, you can't. Because that just doesn't cut it as a burial and a resurrection. Now, am I making fun of any other baptism but, but Baptist baptism? Yes. Yes, you got the point. Good. Because truth is truth and we should rejoice in it. Amen. John was called a Baptist because he was a dipper. Right. He went to the Jordan River. John 3 says he baptized in Anan near to Salem because there was much water there. Why did he need much water? Because a canteen wouldn't do it, nor would a squirt gun. You had to have deep water. Lord, help us and thank you for all that. Amen. Do you realize that 95% of the Christian world, and there's over 2 billion Christians, out of the 7.5 billion people on earth, can't figure out that simple doctrine of the New Testament? They No, they don't baptize. They sprinkle babies. They christen babies. They do it to infants. They do it with sprinkling or pouring. And they do it to regenerate them. They're wrong on three counts on the simplest doctrine of the New Testament. That is by the grace of God that we're Baptists. Amen. We are not Baptists because the Southern Baptist Convention tells us to be. We're not Baptists by tradition. We're Baptists by conviction from the Word of God, period. Amen. John was a Baptist. Jesus was a Baptist. Why does anybody doubt the fact that Jesus was a Baptist? If you're baptized by a Baptist preacher, what are you? A Baptist. And John baptized Jesus. Now, that's not a denominational Baptist. We're not denominational Baptists. In fact, let me go outside and check the name of our church. I'll be right back. <laughs> you know, the name of our church is the Church of Greenville because that's how churches were named in the New Testament. Amen. We don't care what a church's name is, but do they put a person under the water and bring them back up again in a picture of what Jesus Christ did for us? Right. In a picture of what we should do with our old man and in a picture of what we believe about cemeteries, that they're going to get ripped up. When the Lord Jesus Christ returns, the righteous and the wicked will all come out of their graves. Right. And they will be put back body with spirit to stand before Jesus Christ. And then they will be assigned to their eternal destiny by the grace or the judgment of Almighty and Holy God. Right. Truth is not a right. Natural man thinks that truth is his right. And most Christians think that truth is a right and God would never blind anyone. But the Bible is filled with God blinding men because they chose lies and they rejected truth. Right. Our first parents chose a lie in Eden. Right. They, had, they had an option. Thou shalt surely die, God said. Thou shalt not surely die, Satan said. They chose that. They chose a lie. Right. They chose a lie. They chose the father of lies to be their companion rather than the God of truth that walked with Adam in the cool of the evening. Yep. And it has damned our entire race to believing lies from the father of lies ever since. Yep. And it was a choice that we made, and God giving us our choice, is he wrong? No, he's not wrong. He's holy and just. If we chose a lie, he's justified in giving us lies. This point that God gives lies for punishment for rejecting revealed truth is important to grasp. Yes. That's why I mentioned the 2 Thessalonians 2 passage about God sending strong delusion. Last night you read Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1 is Lady Wisdom speaking in verses 20 through 33. Lady Wisdom, so you think gentleness. If you ignore me, 
if you ignore me and neglect the wisdom that I offer, when your calamity comes, and it will come, I will laugh at you and I will mock at your fear. That is, that is terrible language, but it is biblical language. It is holy and righteous language, and it's true and just. If we ignore the wisdom that the Bible offers us, that God offers us, through the personification that Solomon used of Lady Wisdom, we deserve to have God, Lady Wisdom, and Truth laughing at us when we're in our calamity and we need truth and help because we didn't want it when it was offered to us. You read that last evening. That's not the only place in the Bible. I'd like you to turn to Isaiah chapter 29, which is another very sober, scary, frightening, humbling passage of Scripture on this particular subject of God's judgment for neglecting truth. You also went to Luke chapter 19 yesterday. Right now we're going to Isaiah 29. In your preparatory reading, you read Luke 19, where um, three men, three servants of the Lord Jesus Christ were given a pound. That's an investment of money. I like using Luke 19 because people get all confused with the parable of the talents. They think that the talent is some ability, but the talent is an amount of money. It's an investment, and we're supposed to get a return on it, and the Lord invests his grace in us, and we should be getting the Lord a return on it. Dave read that verse twice to us, 1 Corinthians 15, 10. The grace of God that was bestowed upon me was not in vain. The grace of God is bestowed on some in vain. Christians don't amount to anything, but they should amount to something. And that's why we're meeting today. We want to amount to something. We want to be like a David. We don't want to stand back in the army and be afraid of Goliath, trembling. But there's only one David, and so there's going to be few. Lord, let us be the few. Amen. In, the, in John 6, there was only the 12. 15,000 left. 5,000 men plus wives plus children. We just pick a number, maybe 5,000, maybe 15,000. But they left for just a few. In Luke 19, the one man turned his pound into ten, another man turned it into five, another man kept it in a napkin. You know, he came every Sunday, but he just never bore any fruit. What did Jesus say? Take his pound and give it to the man with ten. The crowd says, or the rest of the audience there says, he's already got ten. Because the rich get richer and the poor get poor in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. If you use the truth God gives you, he's going to give you more. If you neglect the truth God gives you, he'll take away that which you think you have. That is Luke 8.18 about the parable of the sower. Take heed, therefore, how ye hear. Take heed, therefore, how ye hear. Jesus said to his apostles, Because to him that hath shall be given, and to him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he seemeth to have. That is scary. Only if you're living unrighteously. If you love truth, it's wonderful. I had one. He gave me, he gave me his grace. I multiplied it the best I could. It was his grace doing it. Didn't Paul say that front and back in 1 Corinthians 15, 10? It was his grace that did it. And then he gives me more on top of that. He rewards me for doing what he told me to do and what he caused me to do and what he blessed me to do. That's just win, win, win for us. Amen. Wouldn't you say? The only one that lost in the whole transaction is Almighty God who gave his son and he didn't really lose because he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand. It's when, when God's behind a matter. Isaiah 29, 
Listen to this. This is written to the church of the Old Testament. Verse 13 is where I'll start. Isaiah, nope, I want to, get, I want to go back to verse 9. Isaiah 29, 9. Stay yourselves and wonder. Cry ye out and cry. They are drunken, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with strong drink. This is the nation of Israel and their leaders. This is the priests of Israel. Look at this mess. Cry about it. They're drunken, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with strong drink. Verse 10, For the Lord hath poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep and hath closed your eyes. The prophets and your rulers, the seers, hath he covered. And the vision of all is become unto you as the words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver to one that is learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he saith, I cannot, for it is sealed. And the book is delivered to him that is not learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he saith, I am not learned. What does all that mean? There's no truth. No truth left in Israel, all taken away. Verse 13, Wherefore the Lord saith, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men, Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. God is going to take away truth and wisdom from the nation of Israel and leave them in blindness and darkness, because their hearts went after their own lives rather than the things of God. Verse 15, Woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord, that want to live their own way, and their works are in the dark, and they say, Who seeth us? And who knoweth us? Surely your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. For shall the work say of him that made it, He made me not? Or shall the thing framed say of him that framed it, He had no understanding? The turning of things upside down. Is that what's happening in America right now? Is marriage being turned upside down? It's ridiculous what's going on. What's happened in my lifetime, what would never have been tolerated in the high school I grew up in 50 years ago, now it's being tolerated everywhere. In fact, it's being tolerated in many evangelical churches. I'm talking about same-sex marriages and transgendering and all the junk that is going on. It's unbelievable. But you know what? It's a judgment from God. Because their hearts have been going after their covetousness and their prosperity and their pleasure. Remember the, remember the important prophecy that we can never forget. 2 Timothy 3, the most important prophecy for us. These are perilous times when men have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. What happens when, that, what happens when they do that? They're lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Isn't that a great character trait of this generation of Christians? This is what he does to them. They're turning things upside down because he's rewired their heads. He said he would. He'd give them over to a reprobate mind in Romans chapter 1. We have a cause. If we don't go fight Goliath, then the Philistines are going to defeat us. God's caused us, called us to fight. How are we going to fight? We're going to live holy lives contrary to those ungodly traits. We're not going to take up swords and go cut anybody's head off except our own. And I mean that metaphorically, please. You know, the Lord Jesus even said, pluck out your right eyeball. And the Lord Jesus said, cut off your right hand. And 
Some men have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sakes, and I'll not explain that one. But we don't do any of those things literally. We do them metaphorically by cutting off the lusts of our flesh to follow the Lord Jesus Christ more perfectly. Because if we don't, he rewires us, and what we think is the truth is no longer the truth, and we're led astray and we don't even know it. We open the Bible, it's a closed book to us. We take it to a person that's learned, he says it's sealed. I, I don't know that, I don't know, I don't understand that passage. We take it to a person that's not learned, and he says, I'm not learned. Do you see the mess? Right. Okay, that's to warn us. Is there a particular example of a man in the Bible? There's, there's many, but there's one that we do enjoy. <clears throat> Did a king on a certain afternoon get lied to by two schools of prophecy? Ahab was lied to, first of all, by Micaiah, the prophet of God, and then he was lied to by his own prophets. And we got to see where it all came from in that chapter. 1 Kings 22, it's in the Bible twice, it's in Chronicles as well. Ahab did not want the truth. And that's my point right now. When you decide that, I'm not going to do that. You know, I know, yeah, yeah, he used some verses out of the Bible, but I don't really believe that. When you make that choice, I'm not going to have a marriage like that. That's just too old-fashioned. I'm not going to do that. When you say that, God of heaven hears you, and he'll take away truth from you, and he'll send you lies because you're saying you prefer lies. Ahab preferred lies. He had 400 prophets of his own that didn't fear Jehovah, and there was one prophet that he had in prison named Micaiah. Well, he, Jehoshaphat made him call Micaiah out, so there's one against 400. The ministerial association over here is saying, make sure you say nice things to the king about his upcoming battle. And so Micaiah said, go, you're going to win. Ahab knew he was lying this particular time and said, he never says anything good about me. This time he has said something good about me and he's lying to me because Ahab was never satisfied. And then Micaiah said, I saw heaven opened. Your 400 prophets have just given you this song and dance with horns of iron. They've got down and crawled around in front of you, king. The ministerial association has tried to convince you that you're going to go out and battle and you're going to push the enemy like an ox with horns of iron. I saw heaven opened and the great God sitting on his throne and the whole host of heaven standing around him. That's all the angels and the armies of angels. And God said, who's going to convince Ahab to go to battle where I can kill him? And one angel gave an idea. Nah. Another angel gave an idea. The Lord rejected that one. And then an angel stood up and said, I will go and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord God said, go and prosper. And that's exactly what's happened. Your 400 prophets have just lied to you about your success in the battle. Mark my words. If you come back from this battle, then God has not spoken by me. So Ahab disguised himself as an ordinary soldier and put all of his kingly garments on Jehoshaphat, and they went to battle. A man drew drew a bow at a venture, the Bible tells us, and just shot a chance arrow into, into space after a fleeing army, and it came down and found the joint in Ahab's armor, and he bled out in his chariot. That's 1 Kings 22, and I hate taking the time to remind you of the whole story, But the whole story is profitable. Micaiah lied to him at first by saying, go and prosper. Then the prophets lied to him because Ahab did not want the truth. Do you know what kind of a preacher he had that he could have at a moment's notice? What was his name? 
He was the predecessor of John the Baptist. Elijah. Did he accept Elijah's word? Oh, no, he didn't. So God gave him the words of his 400 prophets. The sure way to rouse the hatred of men is to preach the moral truth of God. Jesus said, you do not believe me because I preach the truth. John 8, 45. That's the next verse after, ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a liar from the beginning and abode not in the truth, and he was a murderer. Because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Isn't that a great condemnation of our race? And that was the church. Uh, that, was, that was Israel. He wasn't talking about the Egyptians or the Hittites. He was Philistines. He was talking about Israel. Truth is only by revelation. It's not by rationalization or reasoning. It's only from God revealing it to us. In Jude 1 and verse 3, we are to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered. Once discovered. Delivered. That means it's given from one who has it to those that don't have it. He gives it to us. We don't discover truth. God reveals it to us. It is by revelation. We never want to forget that. Learning truth requires both God sending a messenger with the truth like those apostles and preparing our hearts, eyes, and ears to receive it. So we are Bible Christians, depending upon the revelation of Scripture. And the revelation of Scripture is now complete. You know, when people write us and want to tell us about their visions and their dreams, we just blow them off because the visions and the dreams went away 2,000 years ago. They came for the period of the apostles, and once the apostles put down in writing everything that we needed, there was no profit or, or reason for visions or dreams. Right. All Scripture is, listen to the statement about the Bible, to a minister. There's no, there's no instruction in 1 Timothy, six chapters long, 2 Timothy, four chapters long, Titus, three chapters long. That's 13 chapters of pastoral epistle. There's not one bit of advice about ever looking for a dream or a vision. But there is advice to study a certain book. And it's not Matthew Henry's commentary. It's the Word of God. Because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, the minister, Timothy, may be perfect. Perfect. How many visions do you need when you're perfect? Truly furnished unto all good works. We have a closed system of truth. Do you know how wonderful it is to live on this side of the cross and have a closed system of truth? 66 books, two testaments, 1,189 chapters, 31,102 verses. Thank you, Lord. I don't know the number for the words, but it's a big number. But we do believe every single one of them because Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And we're thankful for our King James Bible for having those words, every word of God, because in every other version they're taken out in Luke 4 and verse 4. And we're thankful for every word of God. Thank you, Lord, for every word that you've given us. So we're Bible Christians. Truth is a privilege. Brethren, look at Psalm 147. Psalm 147, truth is a privilege. Oh, we don't deserve it. It's not owed to us. It's not a right. That's the... The title of this sermon series, Truth is Not a Right, because it's a privilege. God doesn't owe it to us. We chose lies. When he gives us truth, in spite of us choosing lies, lies, what a blessing. The last two verses of Psalm 147. He showeth his word unto Jacob. That is the father of the nation, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and we get that in the next clause. 
his statutes and his judgments unto Israel. God showeth his word unto Jacob, his statutes and his judgments unto Israel. He hath not dealt so with any nation. Any other nation is what's to be understood. And as for his judgments, they have not known them. Praise ye the Lord. What should we do because God has shown us the truth? Was Israel a big nation, a medium-sized nation, or a small nation? The smallest of all nations, Deuteronomy 7.7. But he gave them the truth. What should they do? Praise ye the Lord. What should we do? Praise ye the Lord. Are we told to praise the Lord? Are we bound to praise the Lord? Second Timothy. Oh, no. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. That verse comes right after strong delusion to believe a lie to others. What a difference! And I love it starts out with that inspired disjunctive word, but. After describing what happens to the enemies of truth and that they're given over to reprobate minds and sent strong delusion, then it says, but we are bound to give thanks all the way to God for you because what a difference God had made among the believers in the city of Thessalonica. Just like he has made a difference in our lives. Look at Matthew 13. Matthew chapter 13. This is the parable of the sower and a whole lot of other parables. Parables are not earthly stories with heavenly meaning to make it easy for common people to understand. Parables are proverbs. They're both obscure statements that require great skill and understanding to be able to, under, to, be able to know the lesson that's involved in them. When Jesus would speak in parables, the apostles would try to correct him. When Jesus would speak to them in parables, he'd, they'd ask him, could you speak to us plainly? And when he would speak plainly, they'd say, oh, now you're speaking plainly to us and not using parables. That's found in John chapter 16. Here, Jesus gives the parable of the sower. The apostles come and say, why are you speaking to them in parables? They don't understand what you're talking about. He says, I don't want them to understand what I'm talking about. This is Matthew 13, 10 through 15. But I want verses 16 and 17. But, ble- but, do you know how many wonderful buts there are in the Bible? Inspired, disjunctive, setting two things in opposition. While I don't want them to understand, I do want you to understand. And because I want you to understand, and I'm going to help you understand this parable, you're blessed. So we have verse 16. But blessed are your eyes, not their eyes, because he's shut their eyes so they can't see. Blessed are your ears, for they hear. Their ears were closed up so they couldn't hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. Thank you, Lord. We live on this side of the cross. We know more than right then those apostles knew. The apostles were still pretty confused about the purpose of Jesus Christ. They wanted to protect his life while he was trying to go to Jerusalem to die for their sins. Peter said, Be it far from thee, Lord. And the Lord had to say to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou savorest not the things that be of God. You're getting a little confused right now and getting your carnal affection for me mixed up with the spiritual purpose that I have here on earth. But we're blessed above many prophets and righteous men that desired the days of the New Testament. We get to look back with a perfect word of God in front of us to understand these places in Scripture. 
Truth is a great privilege, and we must thank God for it. It's an opportunity. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, God told Israel, Moses told them, that if you'll keep all the commandments I've given you, every other nation on earth is going to say, what an incredibly wise and understanding people to have laws like they have because it separated them from the rest of the world. What a great code of laws are found in the first five books of the Bible. Turn to Proverbs chapter 3. Truth is an opportunity. Do you know what an opportunity means? It's something that is set out before you that you ought to grab and exploit and use for your blessing in your life. Now, truth is a privilege because God gives it where it's not deserved. Truth is an opportunity because you can advance yourself in the sight of God and men by putting it into practice. It's, it, it can leverage your life. It can leverage your life for happiness. It can leverage your life for length. Do you know how many times the book of Proverbs says you can lengthen your life by doing certain things? Does the Bible say this simple little statement that if you'll honor your parents, you can lengthen your life? Does it? Has anybody seen that posted at GNC recently? Fitness 19. Does anybody have that sign up? Or does it just say, you've got to pay to hurt yourself on our treadmill? You've got to pay to, to, to take our junk tablets. See, it never wants to tell you the truth. The truth is, if you want to live longer, do something with your parents today. Call them and tell them you love them. You say, it's too easy. God is easy. Because his word is true. Right. It's so simple. We should have a biplane flying past all the GNCs in Greenville and all the health gyms with a banner behind them. Honor your parents. It'll be well with thee and you'll live long on the earth. Because that's the truth of the matter. What should be first if you're worried about living a long life? Honor your parents. And then read the book of Proverbs because it tells you other features. Right. Now, brethren, there's 915 verses in Proverbs, and we can only look at a couple. And the point we're trying to show is that truth is an opportunity because truth gives you a tool of leverage to better your life. We're in chapter 3, verse 13. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. Do you want to be happy? Then lay hold of the wisdom and truth of God's word. Verse 14, For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. Some of you go to school. Some of you go to work. Some of you work many hours. Some of you take extra courses. You work very hard to make more money. But do you really want something that's of value? Grab a hold of the wisdom and truth of God's word and use it. She is more precious than rubies. And all the things that thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. Do you believe, verse 15, then how important is the truth of God's word to you? Do you believe, verse 15, we know whether you believe it or not, as to what kind of an appetite, desire, and commitment and obedience you have to the word of God in its practical duties. Are there any more verses like that in the book of Proverbs? Yes. But uh, we don't have time to look at them. Truth is an opportunity. Look at James 1.25. James chapter 1. With that, we'll close this service. James chapter 1. Truth is not a right. Truth is a blessed privilege. Truth is an opportunity. We'll look at truth as, an, as a responsibility. 
God hides it from many. He shows it to a few. He opens the hearts of a few. He draws a few. He shows them his son. He speaks the word, let there be light, and there is light. He shines forth his grace into their hearts. He reveals himself to some men. He's revealed himself to us. And brethren, we are so blessed. We are bound to give thanks. Amen. And we are bound to be faithful to what he's shown us right. and to live it out in our lives. James is that passage of scripture that you know as being doers of the word and not hearers only. Verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Because in verse 21, it told us to lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. That's to get rid of the sinfulness in our lives and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. So there's obedience in verse 21. Verse 22 backs that up by saying, don't just hear the word, be a doer of it. Because if you're a hearer of it and you don't do it, it's like a man that gets up in the morning and looks in a mirror and see all that's messed up and goes ahead to his interview without making any changes. But we're supposed to be looking into the mirror of God's word and see the faults. Lord, I'm sorry. Get off of me. And get that off of us and do what's right. That's being a doer of the word and not a hearer only. That's a man who combs his hair, washes his face, brushes his teeth, then goes to his interview in the example that's given here. But I want verse 25. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, that's looking into the word of God, where the truth of God is found by revelation and declaration to us, and continueth therein. He doesn't bounce in and out. He doesn't turn aside to any other source of knowledge or truth. He looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein with obedience, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. What does it say? This man shall be blessed in his deed. Truth is truly an opportunity. And this man shall be blessed in his deed. Psalm 19 and verse 11, we put it this way, Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in the keeping of them there is great reward. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word about his word.